0: Thank you. My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about one thing we can do to prepare ourselves for that day when we will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. We will be judged not for our sins. I'm so thankful that Jesus took the judgment for our sins. He paid the price for our sins when he died on that cross. But one day, we're going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to judge us based on how we have lived our lives. And so in today's program, we're going to be thinking about one way we can prepare ourselves for that judgment. For those of you who are football fans, you know that last night was a big night. I mean, it was a big night for those of us who love the NFL. Every year on the first Saturday night of August, the Hall of Fame class for that particular year is enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And last night, the class was enshrined. How many of you watched that? Will you raise your hand? Okay. It wasn't a big deal to any of you rascals. (laughs) Do you have ESPN or the NFL Network? What do you people do on Saturday night? I mean, it's supposed to be Charles Stanley and then Sports Center. That's what you do on Saturday night. Well, last night the class was enshrined, and I watched not all of that, but I watched a good bit of it, and it was really good. And you know that as a player or a coach or even as an owner, if you are enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they say you have achieved football immortality because long after you're dead and gone, you will be honored and revered in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Football immortality. Now, the only problem with that description of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, football immortality, is the description is wrong. Even if you make it to the NFL Hall of Fame, you have not achieved immortality because one day the hall of fame in canton ohio is going to experience the same thing that everything else on planet earth is going to experience and that is one day the hall of fame is going up in smoke you say now john you're just blowing smoke now something say to say something like that. Is there a verse in the Bible that backs that up? Well, yeah, if there wasn't, I wouldn't have said it. So open your Bibles tonight to 2nd Peter chapter number 3. I want to show you a verse that tells us what's going to happen to football immortality. What is going to happen to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and no matter how much we might love sports and love our teams and love our players and honor them for their accomplishments, one day even that institution itself will no longer be on the scene. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10, 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse number 10, the Bible says this, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now, when it says the heavens, it's talking about the created world, the atmospheric level, planet Earth itself. And it says this, And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And in verse number 12, it it, it expounds on that. It says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. And the elements, that is the earth itself, the grass, the trees, the hills, the, the planet earth will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so one day, this planet, this earth, is going to go up in smoke. It is going to burn up, and it is going to melt away. Now, I began thinking, when we think about immortality, what What is there anything in the world that is truly immortal? I think there are. I made a list. First of all, we know that God is immortal. God had no beginning and God will have no end. So God's immortal. We know that the Bible is immortal 10,000 years from now, 10 billion years from now. God and the Bible will still be around. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers. The flower does what? Fades. But the word of our God stands forever. And so the Bible The Bible is immortal. It's not going anywhere. We know this as well. Souls are immortal. Your soul is immortal. My soul is immortal. What I'm saying to you is inside of your body, there is something that is immortal. There is something that is eternal. There is something that will still be in existence 20 billion years from tonight, and that is your soul, the real you. So we know God is immortal. We know the Bible is immortal. We know that our souls are immortal. We know that eternity is immortal. Both compartments, the positive and the negative, the up and the down, heaven and hell. We know that heaven will last forever, and we know that hell will last forever. And so there are four things right there that are immortal, but there's something else that's immortal. And you may never have thought about this when the others wouldn't have surprised you. But the other thing that is immortal, that is eternal, that will last forever is the service that you and I do for Jesus Christ. Your service of God, if it's done from a pure heart, if it's done with the right motives, if it's done in the will of God, that service of God is immortal. That service of God is eternal. And your service of God will live on after your life on earth has ceased. Say, John, is there a verse for that? You keep asking me if I've got a verse for everything. Yes, I do. Go back a few pages to Hebrews chapter number 6. There's a verse for that. There are lots of verses for that. In Hebrews chapter number 6 and in verse number 10 we read that our works for God, our service of God, that it outlives us. It is in the heart and the mind of God and he will remember it forever. Hebrews 6:10 For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. But notice the first of the verse. God is not unjust To forget your work. God will never forget all the things you have done for Jesus Christ. Those things that you've done that you think nobody noticed, God noticed. Those things you've done for Jesus that you have forgotten, God has not forgotten. Every visit you've ever made, every encouraging letter you've ever written, every lesson you've ever taught, every song you've ever sung, everything you've ever done in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you have ever even as much as given somebody a cup of water in the name of Jesus Christ... That is forever tucked away in the mind and the heart of God. He will not forget it. And so long after you have died physically and stepped out into eternity, those works, those those acts of ministry, that service of God will live on throughout all eternity. You say, well, John, in what sense will it live on? Will it just be in God's heart and in God's mind? No, it's more than that. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read about the judgment seat of Christ. One day we're going to stand before God as Christians and be judged. There are two judgments yet to be. Well, there are really three, but the two main ones that I'm thinking about tonight are, first of all, the the future judgment for people who've never been saved, the great white throne judgment. And then the judgment for those of us who are saved who will one day stand before Christ and we will be judged based on how we lived our lives, how we treated people, how we served God, what we did with our time, whether or not our life on earth counted. And at that judgment seat of Christ, we will be revealed for who we truly are. I will be revealed not for who you think I am, but for who God knows I am. You will be revealed not for who I think you are, but for who God knows you are. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, in verse number eleven, first first of all, Paul said, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those are the good things to build with, and then three bad things: wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward." And so there's something else that is eternal. That is your service of God that is genuine, that is right, that is from the heart, that is done to please God and not to please man. Paul said when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat, if your service of God is pure and right and holy and true, then that service of God will endure, it will last forever, and you will be rewarded for that. God will give you a reward of some kind, maybe a crown. The Bible has different types of crowns that it talks about that God will one day dispense to His children by way of reward, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, other crowns. And then in Scripture it says that we will take those crowns and lay them at Jesus' feet. And throughout all eternity, those crowns will live forever as an expression of our service of Jesus Christ and our love for Him is that we have given that back to Him. And so that is something, you talk about immortality, eternality, it is your service of Christ that will endure, that will last forever if at the judgment seat, when you are revealed before God... God, in that moment of judgment, says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. No, you weren't perfect. And at that judgment seat, sins will not have any place in that judgment. Our sins have already been judged when Jesus Christ died on that cross. Amen? And so all of our sins were placed upon him. And God's not going to punish the same sin twice. If God's already punished Jesus for all of my sins, God's not going to bring me into double jeopardy and make me give an account for something that Jesus has already forgiven and that God has already forgotten. And so the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for sin. It is a judgment for service and how we have lived our lives. And if we, have we lived our lives with eternity in mind? or have we only lived our lives focused on the here and the now and the what's fun and the pleasure and what we can get out of life and that all leads up to this question as you look at your life are you living your life with eternity in mind i mean every day when you wake up and begin a new week are you living life with the judgment seat of Christ in mind. If I were to stand up here tonight and start quoting verses at you, one after the other, about how one day we're going to stand before God in judgment, most of you would think, well, I'm ready to stand before God in judgment because I know I'm saved. For example, if I quoted Amos chapter 4 in verse 12, which says, prepare to meet your God. And then I followed that verse with a question, and I said, are you prepared to meet God? Most of you would say, well, yes, I'm prepared to meet God. I'm saved. Well, that's the... First step of preparing to meet God. But being saved is not the only thing we have to do to prepare to meet God. There are going to be a lot of people who are standing before God, the judgment seat of Christ. They're saved, but they weren't prepared to meet God. Their lives were not gold. Uh, silver and precious stones. Their service of God was wood, hay, and straw. and It's going to all go up in flames. And so they're not ready. How about this one in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, where the Bible says this, it has been appointed unto man once to die. You say, well, I'm ready to die. I have Jesus living in my heart. Well, fantastic. But the rest of that verse says, and after that, the judgment And so when we think about preparing to meet God and standing before Him one day, it's not just making sure that we're saved. Yes, that's essential. We have to be saved or we won't even be at that judgment at all. We'd end up at the great white throne judgment. God forbid, if there's anybody here tonight not saved, I'm telling you, you're headed down the wrong road. You're going to meet God on the wrong side of the law and tonight you need to come get saved, give your heart to Jesus so that one day you won't have to give an account for your sins. You can be at the judgment seat of Christ. But even if you're saved, Unless you are living your life with eternity in mind, unless you are devoting your life to the things of God, I'm telling you, you're not ready to meet God. You're not ready to stand before God, because one day you will stand before Him, and you'll stand before Him to be judged based on how you have lived your life. You believe all that? Say amen. Now let me ask you a question. At the final judgment, this is the final judgment for Christians... Do you believe that God wants you to do well at that judgment or that God wants you to do poorly at that judgment? He wants you to do well, right? You believe He wants you to pass or fail? He wants you to pass. God takes no joy in watching the works and the efforts and everything of your life go up in smoke. God wants you. Listen, God loves you. And God loves me. And God wants what's best for us. And so, just like we should live our lives with the judgment seat of Christ in mind, I can guarantee you God's living his life with the judgment seat of Christ in mind. And he wants more than anything for a person, after that person has been saved, to live their life in such a way that on that day they will do well. What's the old song? I mean, really old song you sing. In that great getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. Well, that means in that great getting up morning, we want to be saved, but it also means when we step out into eternity and stand before God, that we want to fare well at that judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ. And God wants us to fare well. God, one of these days, Jesus Christ wants to look you right square in the eye and say to you with a smile on His face, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what He wants. And so He has given you And He has given me some things that we can use to prepare us for that day of judgment. I'm telling you, judgment day is coming. And just because you're saved, that doesn't mean you're exempt. You're just exempt from the other judgment, the judgment of sin. But you're not exempt from standing before God and being judged for your life. And so God wants you to do well and He's given you some things so that you can do well. And I want to mention some of those tonight. Number one, Maybe the most precious thing that God has given us that will help us do well at that judgment, at the judgment seat of Christ, is time. T-I-M-E. God has given us time. And God wants us to use the time that we have on this earth getting ready for immortality. Getting ready for eternity. Getting ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Time. Time. Is, is, is God's gift to us, and God says, use your time wisely. What I'm saying is, when our life ends, we want to step out into eternity not only saved, we want to step out into eternity serving God, pleasing God. We read passage after passage in the Gospels where Jesus says things like, when I come back, I want to find you faithful. I want to find you serving me and so and so. We want to end our lives that way. So God has given us time. Now, let me give you a scripture verse to write down. And I want to quote it to you out of the NIV, which is not the Bible I normally use, but the NIV has got this verse just I I just love it. Psalm 90 And verse number 12, and here's what the psalmist said. In fact, Moses said this. It's the only psalm Moses ever wrote was the 90th psalm, as far as we know. Moses said this, teach us to number our days aright. Say that with me. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses said, God, I don't know how long I have down here on earth, but I pray that you'll have along. I have, teach me to number our days. Isn't it interesting that Moses didn't say, God, teach me to number my weeks, teach me to number my months, teach me to number my years, teach me to number my decades, teach me to number the seasons of life? No, Moses said, teach us to number our days. Why did he say it that way? Because Moses knew that life consists of days. Weeks are seven days, months are 31 days, years are 365 days, but life consists of a day of a 24 hour period. Now, when I say God has given us time, here's what I mean by that it means that God has given us today. We don't know that we have tomorrow, we don't know that we have next week, but we have today. Now, if you think about how you spend a 24 hour period, here's what I'm saying. If you spend a 24-hour period of time wisely, and then you just keep doing that every day, then what that means at the end of seven days, you have spent your week wisely. At the end of a month, a month wisely. At the end of a year, a year wisely. At the end of a decade, a decade wisely. At the end of your life, you'll spend your whole life wisely if you can learn how to spend your days wisely wisely this 24 hour period that moses said god teach us to number our days aright. teach me to use these hours that i have in a day in the right way now let's think about how we use time let's think about how the average person spends 24 hours first of all eight hours of that is going to be spent working right i mean unless you're retired and the retired people all tell me they're busier now than they were before they retired And my grandfather used to say that. He said, I don't know how. I used to have time to go to work because I stay so busy now being retired. But let's just say eight hours a day is spent at work, all right? Eight hours a day is spent asleep, right? That's 16 hours. Two hours a day. Now, some of these times I'm going to give, you have to give me a little bit of leeway here, but I think they're close because I've thought this through very carefully. Two hours a day is spent on meals. There are three meals a day. I'm allotting 40 minutes per meal, and that comes up to two hours. Now, the fact is, none of us are spending 40 minutes on breakfast, right? I mean, breakfast is quick. But you're going to have a hard time doing lunch and or dinner in 40 minutes. So I think if you look, whether you go out to eat or whether you cook the meal at home, That is a very conservative number. Two hours a day is spent on meals. Now we're up to 18 hours. I would say we spend one hour a day on average, some days more, some days it'd be a little bit less, but on average, one hour a day doing household chores, right? We've got to wash clothes, we've got to wash dishes, we've got to pay bills. We've got to mow the yard. We've got to do whatever it is we do around our house. And that takes about an hour a day. And then I would say we spend, let's say, an hour a day on leisure. You get home, you're tired, you turn on the TV, you watch the evening news. You do like me. You watch Andy Griffith You kind of go to Mayberry for a few minutes and relax. You watch whatever you want to watch. But about an hour, let's just say we all, maybe you play on your phone and you're looking up things. But about an hour a day is just spent relaxing. Now, that's 20 hours. Now, the fact is, we're all spending those 20 hours doing the same stuff. We're all working. We're all sleeping. We're all eating. We're all watching something on TV. And we're all washing our clothes and paying our bills. At least I hope so, right? We're all doing that. So out of a 24-hour day... All of us are spending 20 hours doing the same stuff. So if you come up to me after the service and say, "John, what did you do yesterday?" I'm going to just say, "Same thing you did. <laughs> I ate, I slept, I watched TV. I mean, you know that. I mean, it may be a little bit different, but but I'm saying. So what it comes down to in a 24-hour period is four hours. We have four hours in a day where we have some control over how we spend them. We're not sleeping, we're not working, we're not doing household chores, we're not eating, and we're not watching Andy Griffith. We've got these four hours to do whatever we want to do. Now, when Moses said, God, teach us to number our days aright, what I'm saying is, in light of that little chart I just described for you verbally, we could say it this way, God, Teach me to number these four hours a day aright. Because these are the only four hours that are not already spoken for. And what I'm saying to you is, if you, would spend, if you would figure out when these four hours are, maybe they're from 6 till 10, maybe they're from 8 till midnight, maybe they're from 4 to 8 in the evening, you have to, but you've, or maybe they're not even consecutive, but I'll guarantee you, you can find four hours in your day that you have some control over how you spend it. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Spend one of those hours getting to know God better. Bible reading and prayer. One of those four hours, Bob reading in prayer. An hour a day, Bob reading in prayer. And second challenge, spend the other hour serving God. In some way, you spend the other hour serving God. So now we're up to 22 hours, and that still leaves you two more hours to exercise, to watch more TV, to, do what to, to eat a fourth meal, to do whatever you want to do. But what I'm saying is with this suggested schedule that I have given, and I would challenge you to take that home, sit down, and put, your, put your brain to it, put your pen and paper to it, and you're going to get finished and say, you know, he's pretty close to right. I've got four hours a day where I can pretty much do what I want to do. And you do. And what I'm saying is one of those hours ought to be spent getting to know God better and one of those hours ought to be spent serving God better. And so God has given us time. And we say with Moses, God, teach us to number our days right. And not only that, God, teach us to number these four hours. Now, did you know the average person spends five hours a day watching TV? So there's where his surplus of four hours went. He spent the one hour that we gave everybody for leisure. And then he just went off the reservation and spent his whole four hours watching more TV. So one day when he stands before God at the judgment to give an account for how he spent his time, for how he lived his life, I mean, what's he going to say to God? So God has given us time. Well, how we spend our time is so very important. And I would encourage you to think about what I said today on the program and look at your own schedule and try to figure out how you can spend your time more effectively. Thanks for spending some of your time today with us on Peace by Believing. I hope you'll have a great day, and I hope you'll be with us next time.